And now, it's the Onstage Colorado podcast with your host, Alex Miller. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Onstage Colorado podcast for late October 2019. Today, we're talking with Susan Lyles, founder and artistic director of Entoto 2, a Denver theater company that produces works by female playwrights. Now in its 14th season, the theater is presenting a play by Melissa Annis titled Charlie's Waiting at Champa Studio in Denver from November 1st through the 16th. We talk with Susan a little bit about the play and the cast, and, and then we switch to an interview with the playwright from her home in New York. It's a great pair of conversations, so be sure to listen to every flippin' second of this podcast. Okay, uh, Susan Lyles, thanks so much for being on the Einstage Colorado podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about, uh, so I got this uh, press release from you, uh, you know, a week or so ago, and I said, wow, that sounds like a really cool play, and Melissa... Ennis is the playwright and the show is called Charlie's Waiting. Wanted to uh, talk about that in a little bit, but first I wanted to ask you just a little bit about Entoto too, since uh, we haven't had you on the podcast before. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your production company. Well, Entoto 2 was founded in 2005, so we are heading into our 15th year and we focus entirely on producing new plays by women playwrights, um, which if you know, if you, if you, if you're familiar at all with, um, trends and how things work in this country and around the world, pretty much women. Um, there's like out of the place that are produced every year, only 22% of those that are produced are written by women. So we're just kind of trying to fix that a little bit, give women a place to a platform for their work. That's great. It's a 22%. That's a, that's an interesting statistic uh, to have in your back pocket. Andy. <laughs> that's, that's a, yeah, that's a really low statistic to have. I mean, you know, because women make up over 50% of the population. We buy over 50% of the theater tickets, you know, so there, it doesn't make sense that our voices aren't heard more often. Right. Now, does it have anything to do with the quantity of plays being written by women or is it, or is it another, another thing, some sort of a, a ceiling? You know, I don't know what that, um, the problem is. Um, I do know that women write a lot. Uh, you should see my inbox. It's, it's full and overflowing plays written by women. Um, and the stories that come into my inbox, the um, age of the women in the plays themselves range from you know, pre-adolescent all the way up to um, octogenarians and um, pretty heavily on the um, 40 and up um, demographic as well, which is interesting because we don't really see that demographic portrayed in a realistic manner. Um, in film or on stage. So it's just, it's just, it's fascinating to me that if we actually started reading women's work, we would actually see ourselves more on, on stage and on film. So in addition to, um, you know, it's, it's all plays written by women. Is there a certain type of play within that big category? Um, yeah, there really isn't because we've done everything from um, black comedies about war to serious um plays about um, about war and the current war situation uh, to having babies and um, dealing with life and relationships and politics. Um, we're all over the place. You know, we've got, um, we all lead very interesting and different lives as women and men. And um, we kind of cover all of it. We are not um, genre specific as it were. Right. Okay. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Charlie's Waiting. How did you come across this play? What uh, what struck you about it that made you want to do it? Well, this one, um, I'm, uh, I follow a group called Parody Productions, 
on Facebook. And their goal is to bring parody to, to theater. And it popped up in my feed and I saw pictures and did a little bit of reading on the summary, the, the summary on it and uh, got a hold of Melissa and asked her to send me a copy of it because I was interested. And uh, so she did. And so now we're producing it. Great. So you are um, directing it. So I'm assuming you haven't started rehearsals just yet since I think you're a little more than a month out. Uh, no, we actually start. We, we started rehearsals uh, beginning of October. We took a break because of uh, actors conflicts for about a week and we are hard at it this week. Um, we do load in for the set on Sunday and then we open on November 1st. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the plot of Charlie's Waiting? Um, the story surrounds um, a two, a couple, it's two women who are getting married. It's on the eve of their wedding. And um, Louise, who is um, the older of the couple and pregnant, is getting things ready while her fiance, Kelly, who's much, much younger, is off feeding the goats next door. She likes to hang out with goats. Um and while she's gone, there's a knock at the door um, and someone shows up with a surprise for both of them. And that's all I'm going to say. Uh-oh. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. Uh, so I have to ask, are you, do you need to have a, a live goat on stage or is it just an offstage goat? No, I wish there was a live goat. The baby goats are so cute, especially when they wear sweaters. <laughs> so yeah, no, the goats, unfortunately, there are no goats. We're not even going to set up a little petting zoo, which would be kind of cool. Maybe that would bring people in. Come pet the goats yeah. stay to see the show. Hmm. Out on the sidewalk, you could have a petting zoo. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, and I noticed that the, the cast has uh, three actors in it. So Amy Serafin, Jenny Lesky, and Amalia Adiv. Um, is that correct? And then, uh, so so two of them um, are, are the, this couple. And then who's the third person? Um, the third person is the stranger who shows up. And I can't tell you any more without spoiling. <laughs> Okay. All right. Going back to what your, you know, your focus is on, uh, you know, plays by women. Is there, is this too simplistic a question to ask? Like what, what is the difference between a play written by a man and a woman? Uh, is there, is there one like kind of thing that you, you notice over and over? Or? No. And I think that's the beauty of it is like, you could take a play written by a man and a woman and without their names on it, you're not going to know who it's written by. Um, when, cause we, a lot of the plays I've had that come through, I mean, they're hard, you know, they're strong in our world of, of gender classification, um, and our stereotypical, um, ideas on what masculinity and femininity is. Um, some of these plays are written very masculine, so they're very strong. I seriously, if you didn't have their names on them, you would have no idea the gender of the person who wrote the play. And I think that's, um, they've tried that um, a couple of times doing blind submissions. And there was a fascinating um, study done a few years ago about that, where um, they sent the, the, the scripts in with a woman's name and a man's name, same exact script. And it had one had the one copy had the woman's name, the other had the man's name. And for some reason, they picked up on the man's instead of the woman's, because I think there's an inherent bias that we do write differently than men, and that a man's words are somehow stronger than ours. But if you don't have the name on the script, you don't have that bias in front of you. So no, there's really not a difference. We all have stories to tell. 
This show is going to be at uh, 1245 Champa Studio, which is sort of adjacent to the, the Denver Center there, or kind of part of it. Yeah, it's one of its little satellite buildings. You know, it's kind of across the railroad tracks and in the back dark room. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> little... <laughs> right. And the show uh, is running from uh, November 1st through 16th, uh, Thursdays, Friday, Saturday. Um, and then uh, are, there, are there Sunday matinees as well? Well, there is one Sunday evening performance, and that's on November the 3rd. Um, it's it's a fun show. It's um, I think it... Uh, there aren't enough plays being done. Um, I have Endeavor um, dealing with uh, gay and lesbian couples. Um, and I really like that, that, uh, that this has that in the center of the story. Um, so that, you know, more people can see themselves on the stage. Um, it is, it runs for about an hour and a half as well as a time frame on that. All right. Well, uh, Susan Lyles, thanks so much for taking the time to talk about Charlie's waiting, which is uh, going to be uh, running November 1st through 16th at Champa studio. And, um, you can get tickets uh, on the website and toto2.org. And, uh, we'll look forward to uh, getting out and seeing it and seeing what uh, comes next season, which you said, uh, we'll start in uh, next April, next April. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you haven't announced your season yet. We, um, I can announce our first show. Um, our first show is going to be um, Fractured Moonlight by Carrie Prince. She's a local playwright. We workshopped this piece this last spring and did a staged reading of that. So um, we're going to do a full production of it. I'm very excited about that happening. And then we're also um, starting our fundraising for um, Lost Creatures because we are looking to take that to New York. Um, and we're looking at that in the fall of 2020 or the fall of 2021. So a couple of really fun things happening for us next year. Great. Well, Susan, thanks so much uh, again for talking and uh, we will see you at the theater. Great. Thanks for having me. Please take a moment to subscribe to the Onstage Colorado podcast wherever you get your podcasts and rate us if you can. The Onstage Colorado website has a full up-to-date calendar for the entire state of Colorado. So if you're looking for live theater anywhere in the Centennial State, Onstage Colorado is your one-stop shop. Plus, the Onstage Colorado review crew is out in force and we have lots of new reviews on the website for shows recently opened in the state. It's all at onstagecolorado.com. All right, and here's my interview with Melissa Annis, the playwright calling in from Brooklyn, New York. Okay, we're on the line with Melissa Annis, who is uh, we're talking to from uh, from Brooklyn, and uh, she is going to be uh, uh, she's a playwright, and she's got a show called Charlie's Waiting, which is going to be produced by Entoto Two here in Denver. So, um, wanted to talk to you, Melissa, a little bit about uh, the that play, but I wanted to start by just asking a little bit about how you got started. It's a daunting proposition to say I'm going to write a play. So, uh, what made you do it that first time? Um, wow. Uh, well, first I have to ask your forgiveness because I am in Brooklyn, so you're probably going to hear some um, shouting and some sirens go by at any point. So please forgive the noise here. Oh, I'd but, be disappointed um, if I didn't hear some of that. We <laughs> say that now. Um, how did I get started? Well, that is a scary question. You know, I think I've always been a writer. Oh God, that sounds so pompous. But I've always <laughs> been a writer, I think. it's. Um, I'm from Wales originally. And one of our traditions is writing. We're big bardic country. So we have a competition called the Eisteddfod, which is essentially where um, children and grown-ups we all get together once a year in a giant tent, 
and um, we share poetry and songs that have been written and we perform. So the arts are always a big, big part of um, our upbringing and it's all in the Welsh language. And I was always interested in writing. I used to write the sketches for everybody and I used to write a lot of um, various pieces. So that's always been a part of my life. Um, So it felt... It's not quite as alien as it would be to some people, I think, turning to writing something. Also, my parents are in the arts. So that always gave me the freedom to say, I want to do this crazy thing, um, which I know I'm incredibly lucky to be able to say. Um, But then what happened was, not to bore you too terribly, um, what happened was when I was um, moving to New York 15 years ago, I used to think I was an actor, you see, but I'm actually a terrible actor. Nobody bothered telling me this. Um, okay. <laughs> but I discovered this. When I came to New York, I, um, I realized that there were lots of very, very, very good actors in New York. And there was no way that I could compete with them because I didn't have that fire in my belly. And so I thought, oh, gosh, well, what am I going to do with my life? And then I decided to write plays. And that's kind of how it went. <laughs> it's not very profound, is it? I'm so sorry. I think that's plenty profound. But, you know, to me, you know, and I'm a, a player, a struggling playwright myself. So I, I, to me, it's like a, it's proven to be an extremely difficult type of writing for me. And I'm a, I've been a journalist for many years and I can write, you know, certain types of, of things very quickly. But uh, I, I write the screen stuff takes me forever and I've never actually finished anything. So so I wanted to ask um when you started writing plays, uh, how did you figure out that, that structure, that, uh, that form? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. You know, I think because I've always been surrounded by theater, it was sort of a natural rhythm I had in my bones anyway. Um, and also because I was an actor for so many years, you know, I started when I was 12 on a professional stage. I was constantly immersed in the rhythm of theater. Having said that, and reading. I read all the time. I read plays constantly. I devour plays. Um, but having said that, I think that there is no real way of doing these things. I think that if you know the rules, if you can talk about a three-act structure and a five-act structure and all that sort of thing, great. That's wonderful. But um, Because it is easier to break the rules once you know the rules. But I really think that anybody who wants to write, my biggest piece of advice is sit down and just do it. It's a really easy thing for me to say, but I think that we tend to get very distracted nowadays and we tend to get bored of ourselves. Trust me, I'm bored of myself all the time. I know that feeling. (laughs) But um, I think that it's, uh, it's just a case of sitting down and just doing it and not being precious about what you're writing. I keep telling my students, um, be messy have your vomit draft, but get to the end. It doesn't matter how bad it is, get to the end, because then you can spend three years fixing it. But if you never get to the end, you'll never know what you have. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's what I always say to my students. That's wonderful advice. And and I tell writers that too. It's like, shut up and write. Yeah, it's so hard to do. The writing is one of the hardest things. I find it torturous. You know, I think I'm supposed to say how wonderful it is, but it's actually torture. And if you have an option to do anything else, do something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can, it can be, sure. So I think people also, just to sort of jump on that too, is that people don't realize how awfully lonely it can be. It's a terribly lonely profession. Until you get into the rehearsal room, that is. Right. That is one of the nice things about uh, writing plays is that you actually do get to interact with, with people at some point, unlike some writers. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. So as a playwright, um, is there a particular type of story that you look to tell or is it all over the place? Oh God, it's all over the place. I keep thinking about what is my 30 second elevator pitch and I can never figure it out after all these years. Um, which is something that people always tell you you have to do. And I think, gosh, how boring it would be if you just wrote the same play over and over and over again. Um, but I guess the things that I'm interested in, how about that? The things that I'm interested in are, um, God, I guess we're all just using writing as our own therapy in some ways, but it's about suppression, oppression, but mostly within oneself. I'm really interested in family structures. I write somewhat old fashioned plays, people have told me, which I've never taken as a compliment, but I'm embracing it. Um, I'm really interested in what happens in the house. I'm really interested in what happens to, um, you know, my fellow human being. I don't write hugely profound dance pieces or anything. Um, but what I do write is about a lot of regular people. I'm also fascinated by class. Class is a very, very big part of my writing. Um, I think partly because half of my family are incredibly working class or blue collar, I guess, as you say in America, and the other half are incredibly, um, upper middle class or, you know, posh, I suppose. So I'm constantly interested in those different sides of my personality and, um, and actually just figuring out why people do the things they do, or at least trying to give some insight to myself, why people behave the way they do, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it certainly does. I would say that's probably what the all plays are about in one way or another. Like, Exactly. It's all very generic, but the truth is it's all about the human condition, right? Because our fellow human beings are so simple and complex all at once. I just love people. I just want to be around them all the time. So I create my own now. (laughs) (laughs) So you work in television as well. So I was going to ask you, how much different is it writing for the screen versus the stage? Oh, it's, um, I think that it's incredibly different. I have noticed that in the past few years, and actually I was talking on a panel about this last night, um, TV writer, TV studios, TV producers, they're all hunting playwrights right now. There is such a world of content that needs to be filled with Netflix and Amazon and, you know, TV and podcasts and, um, you know, webisodes and all those sorts of things. There is so much writing that needs to be done that what's really exciting right now and has been for a few years is that a lot of playwrights are going into television. And I think that's why we're seeing such great rounded characters again. You know, there are some really, there's some great TV out there. So I'd say that playwrights can fit really, really easily into the TV mold. I think TV writers find it harder to translate their work onto the stage. Um, Just because, yeah, and it's, uh, and you see it sometimes every now and then a TV writer will, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, because gosh, writing for TV is so hard, but um, you'll see them sort of with a reading and you think, okay, it is different. It really is different. Um, but we as playwrights don't get paid very much money, so we'll do whatever anyone says. So we tend to put that sort of TV hat on easier, I think, than they do the other way around. But when it comes to how different it is, I think the nice thing about it, at least in my experience, my very limited experience, is um, you get to be in a room of people to think of ideas. You get to um, collaborate a lot more before you get to the lonely stage, um, which is interesting. Uh, in the same way that some writers plot out their plays, you know, you're plotting out a season, two seasons, three seasons. So you really have to write with longevity in mind, which is interesting because it means that all the little things are even more important. 
So that's a fun sort of game of being a detective and being a mystery writer in a way, because you're constantly building blocks and it's evolving all the time. Um, and the other very different thing about it is, you know, in theater, well, at least in New York, I'm, I'm not sure for the rest of the country, people tend to teach us this terrible thing that the playwright is God, where, you know, you're a writer and you get to do and say whatever you like and people just have to do it. Of course, that's not true because actually the director gets most of the, um, uh, the power here, but that's kind of what you're taught in um, grad school. Whereas in a TV room, you really are taught that you're a cog in the big machine. And it's, uh, it's, sometimes it's quite refreshing to have that sort of feeling of camaraderie and all that sort of thing. Of course, the other thing that you get in TV is a ton of notes. You're constantly getting a ton of notes that you have to write to. So that's different too. All right. Well, that's a really, really great uh, explanation of the difference. Uh, and, and they all make perfect sense. And the whole idea of having to think ahead. And of course, who knows if you'll even get a season two. So all that could have been wasted. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of my um, writer friends at the moment are writing pilots and um, in TV pilots. And it's the writing the pilot is such a difficult thing to do. And I recommend any writer doing it just as an exercise, because you really have to in the same way as in your first 15 pages of a play that you have to plant your seeds for the rest of the play. You have to do the same in a pilot, but for potentially three to five seasons. So it's a great exercise. So let's talk a little bit about Charlie's Waiting, which is the show that uh, is going to be here in Denver in November. So uh, what led you to write this story? I'm so excited that it's going up in Denver. I have a huge place in my heart for Colorado. I've worked a lot in Colorado and I have no idea why, but it's uh, so I'm so happy that this play is going up in, in Denver. So why did I write this play? Um, gosh, I don't really know. It was a very quick write. I wrote it, I think, in three days. Um, it was one of those fever dream plays that sometimes happens. Uh, it's a short play. It only it's only about 85 pages. Um, you know, I was struggling with the idea of secrets and what does it mean when you have a secret in a relationship and then I sort of di I dove into that a little bit further and started asking myself, well, when you start a relationship, why is it that one always feels like they need to know the other person all the way? Why do they need to know everything about you? Isn't the whole point of starting a new relationship almost starting again? And so I was interested in that. So I wanted to write a play about the attempt to start afresh with a clean slate. And, um, I thought about it for a while and I do, I tend to allow my plays to stew for a little while. And then, um, and then I banged this one out in three days once it was ready to be birthed as it were. And, uh, and from that I applied for a commission with it, um, with Parity Productions, which is a, um, a really wonderful theater company in New York city that helps, um, female and trans playwrights have their plays put out there and they produced, uh, the world premiere of this play earlier on this year. And it was great to see it on its feet and to sort of see, oh gosh, you know, I'm glad that I wrote this play, even though it has quite a disturbing underbelly to it, if that makes sense. And um, so that's where it came from. So I'm really excited to hopefully see a different take on it now that I've seen it once and now that I know what the play is about. Okay. So, so the show is about, um, um, a, a couple who are on their wedding Eve. One of them, uh, they're both women. One of them's pregnant and the other one is, is feeding the goats. And, and then 
a third character appears and all hell breaks loose. Is that kind of how, how it goes? Um, somewhat, yeah. It's actually structured a little bit differently than that. But yes, that's basically the gist of it. An unwanted visitor turns up the night of the wedding. You know, it's that very, very um, known trope, right? But it's the question I was wanted to ask these uh, women. Where, well, what are you going to do with this information? You know, <laughs> so that's kind of what the play is about. It's what do you do with the information when you want something so badly? So what can you tell us about these characters? Are they women you know well? Are they uh, people that you made up or composites? Or um, Well, I think that all of my characters are people I make up. I have to say that in case I get sued. No, um, I think that all of my characters are made up. But, you know, I think that all three of the women are parts of myself. Um, I think that all writers tend to do that. Um, but the three very different types of women, Louise, who's... I guess you could say whose play it is. Um, she's very, very um, wealthy, lives in the country. Um, she's of the gentry class, one could say. Um, you know, she rides horses and cares about what people think uh, all too much. Uh, whereas Annie, is, um, who's our visitor, is a, um, a scholarship girl to a private school. Her father was the caretaker of the private school, which is why she managed to go there. And um, Kelly, our fiance, is also a scholarship um, student at this school. So it's there's a lot of power dynamics um, in regards to class in this play and code switching. And I feel like it's something that I always do in my life. And I think that we as women do a lot anyway in life, which is how do we uh, switch to try and belong, you know, in worlds that sometimes don't want us. So I think that, you know, they're people I know, they're parts of me, they're all of those things. So you said that, you know, someone appearing the night before the wedding is something we may have heard before, but uh, obviously you, you've you got a, a new spin on it. What is So what is this play telling us we may not have heard or, or seen already? Well, I think that it's, um, I, I'm hesitant to tell you exactly what it is, because it actually is the driving point of the play. Um, the gasp moment, <laughs> as it were. But um, I guess what I'm doing with this one is it's exactly the idea of once you have this information, what do you do with it? You know, it's um, I think that we as audiences tend to uh, expect people to behave the way we would. And these women don't necessarily do that. Um, so it's uh, I'm hoping that that's the examination is are they bad people because they choose their path or are they just flawed human beings or are they just doing what they want to do? You know, so I'm kind of trying to explore that aspect of things and hopefully without judgment. I try not to judge my characters too harshly. Right. Well, it seems like, you know, when you get information like that, there's a high road and a low road, perhaps. Uh, and and that's the question. <laughs> Which way are you going to? Exactly. Do you take the high road? Do you take the low road? And does that make you a bad person just because you don't know what to do with this information? Yeah, or just someone who perhaps didn't make the correct choice. <laughs> exactly. And my gosh, haven't we all made terrible mistakes? You know, I know I have. I've made terrible mistakes in my life. And uh, yeah, I hope I never get punished for them forever, you know. And that's a part of this play too, which is, you know, when do you own your mistakes and what does running away from them mean? So what kind of a, a person do you think would benefit from seeing this show? What would you, what would you hope they take away from it? I, I think that, you know, it's not an easy play. I don't write easy plays. My plays are a little dark. Um, 
I will say that if you're a fan of Pinter, you'll probably really enjoy this play. If you hate Pinter, you may not fully enjoy um, all aspects of this play because Pinter was a big influence on me while I was writing this play. I think that it's just for me, I just wanted to tell a story. And I think if you're somebody who likes a story and, you know, I have a bunch of jokes in there, I have some tender moments in there and I have some pretty awful moments in there. So I think if you're looking for a little bit of a quick roller coaster ride, this is a play for you. I will say a friend of mine came to see it. He's very sweet. His name is um, Brian and uh, he's a, um, a, he's a comedian and he came to see it and he left the theater white as a sheet. And he said to me, I didn't know you wrote plays like that. So I don't know what that means. But I was like, Oh gosh, maybe I should put a little trigger warning on some of these things. <laughs> Because I think some people think that they're coming in for just a dark comedy, and it's actually a lot darker than that. <laughs> you said he was white as a sheet, so he it was he was really kind of freaked him out. Yeah, he got. He actually said to me afterwards that he was thinking about the play for quite some time afterwards. And I thought, oh gosh, okay. Well, I like that feeling. <laughs> I like right, that feeling of being, um, uh, I don't know, shaken up a little bit. But I actually had a lot of people very angry with me in the New York production. So, <laughs> so I guess it's quite a. Um, um, if you want to be uh, provoked, maybe uh, it would be good for you to see too, if you want to have a, a good conversation afterwards. It's a, definitely a conversation starter. Let's put it that way. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, I, I certainly look forward to seeing it. Yeah, so. um, to see it. Yeah, so um, let's, uh, let me ask you, uh, what's next for you? I see in the, in the press release that uh, Susan sent out from Entoto 2 that you've got some pretty exciting projects coming up. And I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about them. You've got a, a musical and a, and a TV, something on Netflix, I think. and. Um, yeah, I actually, um, it's not Netflix, it's um, Amazon, actually, before I get in trouble. Um, I wrote an episode um, of a children's television show called uh, Jesse and Nessie, which I'm excited about. Um, it's really silly and fun. And I got to sit in a writer's room with the most genius uh, children's writer ever, Peter Hirsch, who wrote Arthur. Do you know that show, Arthur? Oh, yeah. It's um, it's a wonderful show. He's the head writer on that. And he taught me a lot about imagination. So I got to stretch my imagination to the hilt with that, which was amazing. Um, and I'm writing a musical actually with a Grammy nominated, um, artist, uh, Jamie Floyd. She's really quite wonderful. She's a Nashville based artist and, um, and one of the hardest workers that I know. Um, so she's inspiring me to work harder, which is always good when you're a writer. Um, so we're writing a musical together actually called, um, the King's wife. And we have um, our lovely uh, producer behind us, Jennifer Krantz, who was a producer on The Band's Visit and um, The Prom, amongst other things. Um, it's a play, basically, it's a play, it's a musical about this incredible relationship that nobody ever talks about between Catherine of Aragon and Anne, Bo and Anne Boleyn. They had um, many, many years together in the Tudor court um, while Anne was her lady-in-waiting before Henry and Anne um, obviously had a relationship. So we're basically taking that piece of history and we're rewriting it a little bit. We've found some material and some work about how actually, you know, including, well, I won't go into it too deeply, but how actually Anne Boleyn was really harassed by Henry for a long, long time. He was the most powerful man in the country. And of course, he once he had his sights upon her, what do you do when the king decides that he's going to marry you. So it's almost a, it's a musical for the Me Too era, one could say. Um, there's a lot of sexual harassment involved and there's a lot of um, 
you know, uh, relationships being destroyed by powerful men. So, but having said that, it's also a lot of fun. We have um, some incredible music and you can actually hear some of that music if you want to uh, follow our Instagram, uh, which is, oh God, what is it? At the King's Wife Musical. Um, and yeah, so I'm working on that, which I'm really excited about. And I have a couple of theaters who are interested in developing it further. So watch this space as it were. <laughs> Imagine costumes with a lot of, awesome rock music, but not rock. So the contemporary funky chamber, cool music. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and lots of Queens cursing. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting how the appetite for uh, Royals uh, in, in any era is, is still very strong. I know. I find it fascinating, you know, being Welsh, I'm a little bit, um, dare I say it, anti-Royal because of my, um, Welsh uh, nationalist uh, tendencies towards my country and my language. But on the other hand, I see the good that these younger royals have done recently, and I feel like they're actually giving the royals a good name again. So I'm totally okay with them. Well, it sounds to me, Melissa, like you are living like the wonderful life of a playwright, and you, you've got to be happy with where you're at. You're getting your writing produced, and you're writing a lot, and it sounds wonderful. Oh, gosh, that's so nice of you to say. Well, it's true. <laughs> I think that. Um, Thank you. I think that when you're in it, it's hard to sometimes see what's going on. So I, t- I tend to sort of at the end of the year, I take stock of the year, if that makes sense. And I feel like right now I'm having a quiet period, which is great. So I'm taking stock of my year. Um, and it's, it's been a good year. It's just been, it's just hard to see it when you're in it. You know, I tend to, I'm also a theater director. So I tend to jump from project to project quite a lot. And, um, and I think that hearing things like that is very nice, Alex. Thank you so, so much. I always uh, think of to myself, well, I've been bartending in New York City for, I guess, 12 years. And I haven't bartended for two years. So I guess that means things are going okay right now. <laughs> That's a good measure, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when I look at my sort of rent checks and go, oh, no, I need two shifts. That's when I have to get a bit of a reality check, you know, but uh, but so far I've been okay. And, you know, I'm very lucky. I have, as I say, I direct, so I have a lot of directing work and, um, and I also, um, I teach at NYU. So that's also, you know, wonderful. Uh, it's fun and it's also, it helps, uh, keep things afloat as it were. <laughs> I'm sure it does. All right. Well, Melissa Ennis, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to talk, uh, with the Onstage Colorado podcast. We look forward to seeing, uh, Charlie's Waiting, which is going to be at Champa Studio. Perfect. Thank you so much, Alex. And thank you for listening, whoever's out there. Thank you. Well, thanks to Susan Lyles and Melissa Ennis for talking with me about Charlie's Waiting. That was really awesome. Um, along with that show, there's a whole lot of theater going on all around Colorado right now. And you can find info about all of it on the onstagecolorado.com website, Colorado's only statewide live theater calendar. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Tell your friends about us and also subscribe to the podcasts. Whether you listen on Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher or whatever, you can listen to the Onstage Colorado podcast wherever you get your pods. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you at the theater.